0: Nobody rats on it, see? See? There it is. Experimental robot 23. He's really something, Professor.
1: I want you to look everywhere for a girl named Janet Corning. Janet Corning. Five feet, five inches, uh,
2: brown
3: hair. Brown eyes and the cutest little dimples you ever saw.
1: Brown eyes and the cutest little... I mean, she has prominent dimples. This is Wisecrack's
2: Radio Hour.
4: Join us as we follow quantum scientists Chuck and Wagner through their adventures as they try to get back home to the year 2017. And listen in as they riff on classic radio.
5: Chuck look at that hey that's sunshine
4: the rain finally stopped yes it has and that means we're about ready to head home to
5: 2017 how's the iPhone fully charged and ready to go but we're gonna have to stick around at least one more day because I promised miss Quinn that we'd take a look at her TV Uh, she only watches music programs and her speakers going out so it kind of messes everything up it's all staticky and it's an older TV Uh, said some of her wires may be twisted got it from her sister she offered her sister a sewing machine for it, but she says she's not going to take it. She's got a Zenith, right? Yeah. That's okay, that's the, that's the leader of the pack right there. That's a solid TV. If I had to find something more solid than a Zenith, I'd want to rock. Yeah, right. All those other TVs are for suckers. Anyway, she won't be home till after 8 tonight, so uh, we need to stop by and have a look. Probably on the way home from work. That TV will probably have to go under the blade, so don't let me forget the toolbox. Okay, I need
4: a couple days, too. I've got a few loose ends to tie up, and we've still got a lot of transfers to take care of. Speaking of transfers, throw another tape on the machine, and let's get busy.
5: Sounds good. This time, we've got a Whitehall 1212, True Stories of Scotland Yard. This one's called Strange Bonfire. Hey look there's a little sticker on here. It's got some uh, some information on it. it. Says this originally aired on June 8th of 1952. It also says for crime, mystery and thrills, dial Whitehall 1212. Or maybe it's 1212, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they uh, that was the phone number for Scotland Yard. At least that's what it says here. And it also says that that's the title of this entire exciting series. Oh, okay. Oh, so this ought to be a good one. Let's
4: start
6: it up. Whitehall 1212. Kenny?
5: This is Scotland Yard. Scotty McGinnis speaking.
7: For the first time in its history, Scotland Yard opens its official files to bring you the true story of some of its most baffling cases. Mm-kay. These are the true stories.
2: The plain, unvarnished facts, just as they occurred, reenacted for you.
7: They
4: save money by not varnishing them.
2: Only the names have for obvious reasons been changed. Is he in a can? The broadcast. He's
7: in the can, I think.
2: <laughs> of Scotland Yard.
7: Research is from Percy Huskins of the London Daily Express. Whitehall 1212 is written and directed by Willis Cooper.
5: Alice's brother.
7: Now the voice of Chief Superintendent John Davidson, the caretaker of Scotland Yard's famous Black Museum. That's racist. Good afternoon.
8: I have here from our file number 198920... Beverly Hills. ...a rusted lock complete with handle... ...unvarnished. ...once it was brightly nickel-plated both handsome and utilitarian. Now its beauty has been completely destroyed by the effects of a very hot fire, and its usefulness is ended by the fact that it is locked. Some of its parts have been fused by the heat which it endured. It's part of the right-hand door of a motor car, Mm -hmm. the door next to the driver's seat. It was locked before the fire, I should like you to meet Chief Inspector Albert G. Clarke, who is known as all clerks are mm. as Nobby. The you you November, serious about that, The of was the day set by a certain
3: Guy Fawkes to touch off a number of barrels of gunpowder he had secreted in the vaults under the Houses of Parliament. What does the Guy, Guy Fawkes blowing say? the members of the august body, complete with King James I, through the roof. Unfortunately for Mr. Fawkes, and happily for the monarch, A Lord Monteagle learned about the Enterprise and flung Master Fox into a dungeon from which he emerged only to be hanged. Thus, the principal form of celebration of Guy Fawkes' day on the 5th of November is the kindling of cheerful bonfires in which effigies of Guy Fawkes and other gentry are burned to the accompaniment of hilarious noises. Nickelback. (laughs) Quite late in the evening of the 5th of November, 1930... Quite another type of bonfire made history near Hardingstone, which village is quite near Northampton. This is the way they related the story. My name is Spiller, John Thomas Spiller.
5: My I spill everything.
3: Mr. Charles Espinwall.
2: He Yes, It me was not really the fifth of November. It was about two o'clock in the morning of the sixth. Ah, thanks for the clarification close to there, be Spunky. Practically Guy Fawkes Day. Be still, John Thomas. We were walking home from a Guy Fawkes dance in Northampton. It was Michael Jackson filler Northampton. You walk along the main London road from Northampton till you come to the turn-off to the left on Hardingstone Lane. Only May the fork be with miles, you. Two miles. First, as we started to turn off to Hardingstone down the lane, a motor car passed us. Going towards London very fast. Blinding us quite high. Yeah, we couldn't speak for hours. We saw a man. The moon was quite bright, so we could see his face quite well. He hadn't any hat, and his mullet
4: was blazing.
2: Onto the metal rail, and he looked as if he were mixed up, wasn't sure what he was doing, like much like John Carey. Didn't know what to say either. And it was just at that precise second I saw the blaze round the bend. Down Hardingstone Lane, where there shouldn't be any blaze. And I said to John Thomas here... What's the blaze, you said? What's your bloody, bloody language? The, ditch, the man without a hat, he Ah, said, you it can, it can dance as if as you want, to. Someone's wanna. having a bonfire. A late bonfire, he said. Yes, that's right. And we turned to look in the direction of the blaze. Down the lane toward Hardingstone. And when we turned back to look at the man. He was running away. He was leaving his friends behind. Hurrying away.
5: He didn't say a word. His friends don't dance. He toward
2: London and then he stopped and looked around. The moon was so bright. And then he turned toward Northampton and he started to hurry that way. We'd have done something, but he was hurrying down the road. Anyway, we didn't care who he was. If you don't dance, he's no friend of mine. We just thought it was a bonfire, Victor. Yes. And so we went on down the lane to see who made the fire. And the fire seemed to be getting bigger, so we hurried. hurried. And suddenly, there it was. Right. There, in front of us, blazing like like blazes. The well, that clears was it up. feet high, but we could see what it was. It was a, a motor, motor car. car. Well, was which was car. it, a motor or a car? In the driver's seat, and he was on fire too. He was dead. Just a flesh burn.
3: The boys had forgotten about the hatless stranger who climbed out of the ditch and ran away. They went for a policeman. Quite a number of men arrived. The fire was clearly visible in the village, of course. And presently it was put out and only sizzled. The unfortunate occupant of the driver's seat was carried away in several sacks and put away to cool in the cellar of the local hospital. Not dead yet. Then the two boys remembered the man without a hat, and they told Sergeant Moody about it. Sergeant Moody was the bald-headed one from Northampton. He wasn't very old, was he, Victor?
2: About thirty-five pounds
1: after the fire, dear Commissar. He looked like a commercial traveller. Yet no ads. Who had been
5: travelling through hell? That.
2: He seemed confused. I think I'd say, wouldn't you, John Thomas? Bewildered, I'd say. He finally went off toward Northampton to do the he safety dance. Direction first, though. To London, but you went down the road toward Northampton. A dark man, racist, needed a haircut, judgmental, or a checkered waistcoat, and fan a dark of cheap tie. trick. He had a tiny black moustache. And a wart on the left side of his neck. <laughs> How long did they look at this right guy? Limped. His right foot. Bulgy eyes. Popeyes. Louisiana oh. chicken. Ooh, delicious. Would you know him again, Victor? Certainly I'd know him, John Thomas. It was all very suspicious, Sergeant. And him running away like that. Making S-shapes oh, with his arms. I think something to do with it. <laughs> I think you ought to find him, Sergeant. He's got a dwarf with him, You can't miss him.
3: Sergeant Moody and the rest of the Northampton police made quite a point of trying to find the hatless stranger that day, but he wasn't to be found. By mid-morning, both the burned car and the burned victim had cooled off enough for a closer examination. Jeez, that's kind of harsh. There wasn't enough left of the man, they had decided it was a man, to tell anything about him. The car proved to have been a Morris Minor saloon. Oh, those go up fast. The badly burned was still legible, Sergeant Moody.
1: I put in a trunk call to County Hall, Westminster in As London soon as he opens the trunk, i will call you to back. Which that rumor was issued.
7: We'll have it for you in half a second, Sergeant.
1: That was MU 1468, wasn't it? Uh, MU 1468. MU and the horse you rode in That's <laughs> registration, according to the book. quite We'll have it for you in... Ah, here it is now. The name is Padgett. Donald Patrick Padgett. Address, Buxted Road, is a modest saloon.
4: for miners? Yes, they only
1: sold root Donald there. Patrick Padgett, Bookstead Road, Finchley. Thank you very much. I then consulted the London Metropolitan Telephone Directory in the Northampton Station to discover whether a telephone number was listed for the name Padgett in Bookstead Road, Finchley. It was. I spoke to a woman Who identified herself as Mrs. Pamela Paget, wife of the owner of the car. Uh, I broke the news to her as gently as possible, and she announced her intention of proceeding to Northampton. She arrived the same day, the sixth of September.
4: Always remember
1: I could,
6: Sergeant.
4: Wait, that's the fifth of September. No, that's not even close.
1: The the remains are in the hospital mortuary, mum.
6: I suppose I couldn't see him.
1: Well, he's out smoking at the Fraley moment. I <laughs> must advise strongly against it, Mrs. Paget. I'm afraid he'll be a trifle difficult to identify.
6: I'm not easily shocked, Sergeant. Just ask you Case would, Fraley. Yes, ma'am,
1: but uh, perhaps it would be better to wait until you have rested. I could have a nice cup of
6: tea sent in for you. No, thank you, Sergeant. Good hot tea. Thank you. Perhaps you could tell me how this thing happened.
5: Well, you see, well, there were the men without hats at first. We don't know a
1: great deal about it ourselves, as yet. It happened only this morning, and uh, we've not... Well, we've only completed our preliminary examinations. We thought perhaps you might shed some light on the matter. The fire
4: didn't give off enough light.
1: Uh, you and the late Mr. Paget were on good terms, of
6: course. We were. Of course. Uh, what was Mr.
1: Paget's occupation?
6: He was a commercial traveler.
5: He traveled all the best commercials.
6: Traveler. I must notify the people he represents. And the insurance companies? Yes.
5: Yes.
1: No.
6: I I suppose Mr. Paget was alone when this happened.
4: That ugly uh, girlfriend wasn't
6: there?
1: There was nobody else in the car when, uh, at the time of the fire, Mom, but, uh... The it's his mom. curious circumstance, <laughs> I meant to ask you about at once. Yes, Uh, The two young men who discovered the fire report that there was another person. And the dwarf. Oh, a man. What would a woman be doing there? That time of night. (laughs) Was proceeding along a ditch beside the road. They were, of course, not uh, certain that this man had any connection with the case, uh, of
6: course. uh, What did this man look like? Did he give his name?
1: Nobody danced. Practically no conversation with him when he hurried away. He's not been seen since.
6: Do you have his description?
1: Uh, yes, yes, I have the description given by the young men who saw him. <laughs> it was quite a bright moonlight night, as you remember. Plus, the firelight helped. Indeed, the moon does shine in London. The description, please. Uh, age, about 35 or 6. You is it no 35
4: man. or is it 6? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big gap.
1: Dark man, weighing about 11 stone, wearing a checkered waistcoat. <laughs> huh?
6: My husband was wearing it's it cold out, but you can on. <laughs> uh, a it's dark red tie, and he wore a dark red tie. I'd
1: best call these young men to see if they can remember any more details about Go this. Go
6: on with the description, please.
1: Oh yes, uh, the man had a small black moustache, Hitler-esque. A wart on the left side of his neck, mm. a coat on his right hand. No, had bulgy eyes, <laughs> <laughs> like Barney Google said. And dark curly hair. And he limped his right foot. Limped. His limped. If
4: left I could limp that started. way, I would not need a doctor. <laughs> yes?
6: He limped with his left foot. He was wounded in the war in 1916. He limped with his left foot. Do you mean to say you recognize this man, Mrs. Paget? Of course I do. Who? He's the man you thought was burned to death in the motor car. Who? My husband, Donald Paget. But Mrs. Paget... So Don's added murder to his other sins at
5: last, has he? Oh, what other sins might those be, madam?
3: Gluttony. The reporters, the self-styled crime men, pounced on the story by mid-afternoon and flung the headline broadcasts from Land's End to John O'Groats' house.
4: I played drums for O'Groats in high school. On the
3: school. of November, a third of the people of England, Scotland and Wales were peering into the faces of perfect strangers. Hoping for a glimpse of Donald Patrick Paget, the proclaimed fugitive. At Scotland Yard, we went a little more slowly. We weren't as certain as the newspapers. They got me an impression of the dead man's teeth. Oh, I played drums for him too. I it to one dead teeth. Walter, who was Paget's dentist of record. Mr. Walter telephoned me at the yard at ten minutes after eight, the night of the sixth. Is that Inspector Clark? It's Nobby, do yes, you? Clark speaking. Walter here. Walter? The dentist man. Oh, dentist. he's in the can do again. I you think you'd know my voice by now. Oh, sorry, Mr. Walter. Uh, did you have anything to report? No, no just calling to say doctor. I loved you. Dead man's <laughs> teeth. Yes? Uh,
2: they're nothing at all like Donald Paget's.
3: Really? Yes, he still had his baby Lord, teeth. Through all my rather extensive records, it has taken a great deal of time. I'm sorry, sir. It is quite impossible that the dead man's teeth could be those of Paget's. I would be glad to demonstrate to you at your convenience. But if you could have the actual deeds, I could show you more graphically. All right, sir. Thank you very kindly. Uh, my fee will be, in view of the fact that this work has been done after hours, one guinea, sir. And I a hamster, sure if you please. Consider it money well spent, sir. Good night.
8: Sergeant Talbot! Coming, sir. I was just about to come in, sir. Sure so. you were. By all means. Yes, sir.
7: I've checked four persons so far, sir. Well? I asked each one to give me his
3: own description of Paget, sir. And they're all his close acquaintances. And? Well, they all agree in detail with that given by the two young men at Hardingstone. The hatless man climbing out of the ditch.
5: Making S shaves with a sink and singing. Paget
3: was one of those odd chaps who's never been known to wear a hat winter or summer. Looks as if he's our boy, then. Uh, wait a sec, will you? Yes, sir. Jenny? Nobik, uh, Inspector Clark, here. <laughs> Mrs. Pamela Paget here. Oh? Well, ask her to come in. Shall I ask
2: the other lady to come in too, sir?
3: Eh? Who's she? Miss Ellen Mac... mac-, Donald's. <laughs> mac- Mac-Ecron. Ellen mac well, Who's she? Don't know, sir. She's with Mrs. Padgett. Oh, all right. Send her in too. Yes, sir. Thanks, Jenny. Ever hear of an Ellen, mac- M- Ellen Mac-Ecron, Talbot? No, sir. There was an Alice mac sir. Pickpocket. She was struck by a tram last Tuesday in Hammersmith Broadway. She was killed. Dead. Colbert, you're a mine of information. I doubt this is the same one, though. No, sir. That all, sir? Yes, thank you. For now.
6: Is this expect the clock's
3: office, please? Right here, Mrs. Padgett. Come in. Oh, thank
6: you. Thank you. Yes, sir.
3: Coming That's his back mom back. again. <laughs>
6: Inspector Clark, this is Miss Ellen McEachron.
3: How do you do, Miss McEachron? Won't you be seated? I asked you first. Oh. No, well, Mrs. Fine. Paget, I'm afraid that it was your husband.
6: I was certain it was. Yes. I've just come back from Hardingstone, and I went straight away to find Ellen. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me,
3: ma'am. That's her, her mom, too. I don't <laughs> understand, Mrs. Padgett.
6: Do sit still, Ellen. Yes, ma'am. That bald-headed sergeant up there, uh, what's his name? Sergeant Who, Kojak? Moody? Moody, that's
4: it. Who loves you, baby. He said
6: something when we were talking about not being sure whether the body in the fire was a man or a woman.
3: He told me that on the telephone this afternoon. Apparently they're sure, sure now that it was a man. The medical officer... Yes, I know,
6: but I didn't know when I came back. That's why I went to find Ellen here.
0: <laughs> she thought perhaps it might be me,
6: but it wasn't, was it? No, child, it wasn't. Either you nor your
3: father. I'm afraid I'm... Your uh...
6: <laughs> father's still in jail. You can't burn up people in jail. And I can't you? <laughs> well,
3: if you get a you f- pot and a fire, you can. Tell me what you're talking about, Mrs. Padgett. What has this child and her father got to do with the...
6: I was afraid it was Ellen that Donald had murdered. Oh, my father, you said.
3: Why? For <laughs> heaven's sake.
6: Well, Ellen's father had threatened to do bodily harm to Donald. <laughs> he threatened to burst his bloody neck! Oh,
3: Ew. Me.
7: Eh?
6: Why? Because he wasn't paying the 20 shillings a week. He'd agreed to pay, of course. Well, what
3: 20 shillings?
0: <laughs> For my baby.
6: What? The father of Ellen's three-year-old child is Donald Paget Inspector Clark.
3: She's the ugly girlfriend. Uh-huh. Oh, now it's making sense. John Davidson from the Black Museum shared a pint of mild and bitter with me that night after I finally shut up shop. I like cold I and sweet know better. Tom,
8: I said, about what? People. Join the flipping Third club, man. Tapes. Yeah, fine original statement there. True though. You were speaking about the wife. Yes,
3: married to this fellow. He goes out and contracts bigamous big, big, marriage. <laughs> I again.
4: never played anything for bigamous marriage.
3: Well, not very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Made <laughs>
8: servant you said.
3: What we used to call a slavey. Oh, that's very politically correct. disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't help the ones that are left, John.
8: Uh, the pageant class never dies out.
3: I shall do my best to assure this one's dying out. <laughs> oh, for dying out loud.
5: Uh, you're talking
8: about his wife. <laughs> yes. She apparently doesn't have any resentment toward this young, uh, what's her name, Ellen? Oh, the slavey idiot? Why should she? It wasn't Ellen's fault that she has the mentality of a mango was
3: <laughs> <laughs> Any That's resentment like that. she harbors is towards her husband. Uh,
8: can, the you s- can, you th- can they say Patrick that? The Paget squire who lit one too many bonfires on Guy Fawkes' Day, For which, God willing, he'll hang. Hang him high! Do you have any ideas regarding the unfortunate man in the car? None. Well, I know nothing about it, Marby. But knowing nothing about it, I may have an idea. What? The lawful wife may have. Oh, I idea. think
3: he's an awful wife. Mrs.
8: Paget. all right
3: explain, please, John.
8: If a man commits, what shall we call it, uh, an indiscretion like this—adultery, bigamously, and fathering a child—the law of the land calls it a felony.
4: They better That's start building more prisons.
8: Disregard <laughs> For the legality of a thing, Nobby. Now, we have here the situation of a husband committing a grave offense against his wife. In the law. Disregard the law. <laughs> Empirically, I mean. He commits this heinous Intellectually. crime. Intellectually. The wife practicing true Christian forbearance and charity forgives the man. Or at least declines to prosecute him. Well. Now, bear with me. Given that set of circumstances... Would not such a man be inclined to repeat the offense? Well, uh, having convinced himself that he'll be allowed, as our American cousins say, allowed to get away with it again. Oh, they don't say that over
5: in England, (laughs) I guess.
8: No, only
5: here in America and apparently just his cousins. ...by his
8: wife's goodness of soul, her love for him, which she has demonstrated, and the payment to the unfortunate young woman of a sum of money proposed by the courts. Well, I don't see where your argument's going, John, but. It's not a bad argument, Nobby. And it follows out the one advanced by Mrs. Paget. Assume that the wrong girl's father threatens unpleasantness to Brother Paget. Oh, you're
3: saying that the dead man may be the father of still another victimized girl? Oh,
5: the old switcheroo.
8: Well, I. Mrs. Paget was convinced it was reasonable in the case of young uh, Ellen, is it? She's forgiven a lot, but she boggles at the thought of murder. So for that matter, do I. What do you think? Me too. Well, I think if I were doing it, I, I'd look about and see if the temporarily missing Mr. Paget has made any other excursions into the extramarital. And then I'd discover whether the father of the bride is enjoying good health or has recently been the victim of an all-consuming fire. And then I should order another half pint for poor old John Davidson, who is now extremely thirsty.
3: John Davidson's ingenious idea was almost right. Mrs. Padgett knew of no other liaisons with women of any age, intellectual state, or social standing which had been contracted by her husband.
6: We have been horribly unhappy, Inspector, during all of our married life. But I have tried to make allowances. Donald was severely wounded in the war. He was buried alive at Festubert.
5: Oh, didn't Motley Crue play Festubert? No, I think it was poison. <laughs> I do not know about that.
6: He was such a wonderful person, Inspector. Before we were married and he went to France. At first, Hubert, only three months no, when he went overseas. <laughs>
4: How was that?
6: I didn't. Well, I made a vow to myself that if Don recovered and got well, I'd... I don't want to talk about it. Hmm?
3: I'm sorry, Mrs. Paget. I had Tuckers.
6: I swore to myself That no matter what happened No matter what he did I would try To pretend I was crying While I was being interviewed by the cops (laughs) He's been unfaithful to me so many times But this time with Ellen was the only one I knew all about I was afraid Ellen's father was Don's mind was affected, you know By that dreadful wound
4: Ellen's father was Don's mind?
6: (laughs) He does things. He can't hold on to a job. We haven't any money. I've tried so hard, Inspector. But not... Not murder.
5: Could you please finish a thought?
6: Not murder. Even if it is Don. And Donald's
5: the one with the brain damage.
6: That's why I came to you. If it's murder, not even for Donnie.
3: I went away from there Back to my office Knocked back a pack of Skittles It was the morning of the 7th of November Less than two thir- uh, than 32 hours Since the young men <laughs> Oops had flubbed the a line there Bubba <laughs> Gotta love yeah, live radio form in, in its envelope on my desk uh, oh, uh, I Looked at it From Cardiff In Wales To open the envelope Congratulations You've won the publisher's
5: clearinghouse
3: Signature. Arthur Llewellyn I don't know any Arthur Llewellyn. What's the message say? Donald Patrick Padgett will arrive at Hammersmith bus terminal at 9.30 p.m. today, the 7th. Important you meet him. You will recognize him from his description, Arthur Llewellyn. John Davidson, it appeared, was wrong. I telephoned him to say so. Told you so. I telephoned Mrs. Padgett. 9.30 that night, I met Donald Paget as he stepped off the Cardiff bus. It was easy to recognize him. We went in a CID car
0: to my office and talked. I'd given up, Inspector, anyhow. It can't be done. I wonder if I could see my wife. Uh, that
4: I depends on your eyesight empty. there, partner. We can
3: see her if you want to, and she wants to, after we get this over. All right. Okay. I did it. Very well. Donald Patrick, how did I arrest you on a charge of willful murder and warn you that anything you say will be taken down in writing and may be used in evidence? Sergeant Talbot, do you have your notebook?
7: Yes, sir. I'm ready.
0: I'll make a statement. Hamburgers are delicious. That's my statement. First, I got rid of nearly every penny of money we had. I spent it on women. It's funny to say that when I love Pamela. I love poor Pamela, and I've treated her so badly. Just women. I don't drink, I don't smoke. What, what does, does he do? Women <laughs> find me attractive, I'm afraid, and I'm their undoing. And mine... And Pamela's. Yes, and that kid of Ellen's. I couldn't pay the building society and the house they'd they'd have thrown us out in another month. I couldn't pay Ellen or McEckren to have had me in jail. It was just the end of things for me and for Pamela. So I picked him up when he asked for a lift. Then he said he meant a ride, a trawl, not, not an actual lift. I strangled him and I stuffed him into the driver's seat. Then I got out and poured a trail of petrol down the road to the car and lighted it
5: should have used gas I remember yeah. I would
0: locked him in I tried to run back to the car but it was too late I ran back and down the ditch and that was when those boys saw me the game was up I didn't the news is out they finally found me Pamela'd get the insurance that they'd seen me I did run away it isn't very clear to me I'm afraid I, I went to Cardiff I went to see a girl I used to know, Gladys Llewellyn. But she was gone. And her brother Arthur saw me. He hated me for some reason. Because he didn't dance. Did he telegraph you.:: <laughs> I knew I was done for. Can I see Pamela now? Please? All right, Sergeant. Oh, wait. There's one more thing. I don't know who he was, the man I murdered... He was a complete stranger. He just happened along at the right time. I don't know his name. I'm sorry about him.
5: Not as sorry as he is. I'm
0: sorry about so many things. Now may I see Pamela? Uh, She's sitting right in front of
4: you.
6: Hello, Pam, darling. Hello, darling.
4: Nice to see you oh,
0: Pamela.
5: It's been a oh, long,
6: long time I brought you some of the...
5: Sorry your car blew up
6: Donny.
3: The identity of the dead man was never learned
8: Wow Donald
3: Patrick Paget was tried at the Bedford Assizes and found guilty of murder Murder. On the 10th of March, 1931, he was hanged at Bedford Prison. Boy, they don't do that anymore. Bedford Prison Blues.
7: Here today on Whitehall 1212 in the order of their appearance. Harvey Hayes, Jared Burke, Gordon Stern, Lester Fletcher, Basil Langton... Francois Grima. And they don't make Lulegard. names like they used to. Court. I don't think
4: any of those people are English.
7: Whitehall 1212 is written and directed by. Harvey
5: the Hayes the Blaze, Jared Burke the Jerk, Gordon Stern the Shern.
7: <laughs> <laughs> because blood has been available in Korea until now, what? many, many <laughs> lives have been saved. However, the present rate of donations is far below that needed to build up our oh, reward. supplies. Yeah. Uh. Okay. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
5: Man, that was good. I like the Whitehall 1212 programs. Yeah, me too. I love the accents. Hey, it's almost lunchtime. You want to go out to the Bengal Cafe? Since it stopped raining, I could use a little sunshine. Sure. Is uh, Susanna working behind the counter again? Yeah, she was last time. All right. Well, we haven't been to the Bangle Cafe since that manic Monday last year when the power went off. That's right. It was so dark down here. We were walking like Egyptians with our arms out so we wouldn't bump into anything. I remember it well. Once the power came back on, I asked Mr. Brebbles if he'd install an eternal flame down there somewhere in case it happened again. He thought I was serious. (laughs) Well, maybe he should. Gets pretty gloomy down here during the hazy shade of winter, you know. Well, let's take off. It's a few blocks away, so we better start walking down your street. Let's go.
4: Wisecracks Radio Hour is written and produced by Aaron Lindsay and Sean Rourke. Dr. Charlie is played by Aaron Lindsay. Dr. Wagner is played by Sean Rourke. Mr. Brumbles is played by Craig Underhill. And I'm your announcer, Lori Lindsay. Please connect with us on social media. Our Twitter handle and Facebook ID is Wisecracks Radio. Our website is WisecracksRadio.com. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another exciting episode. Please review us wherever you find your podcasts. which is what it was you know a motor oh was it a motor or okay yeah wait it was a motor car <laughs> i'm just gonna speak well which was it a motor or a car
5: the rain finally stopped that's right <laughs> that's, that's that's right, right. <laughs> okay um, uh. uh she said some of the wires may be twisted Got it from her sister.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Sorry, I messed you up completely. (laughs) It's quite all right. When you said she only watches music programs, I'm like, oh, my God. That's from Miss
5: Quinn. Martha,
4: (sighs) if I had to find something more solid than a Zenith, (laughs) (laughs) I'd want to (laughs) rock. No, no, no. no. I remember well. Once the power came on, blah, blah. <laughs> well, let's take off at the fair.